been a while. Yeah, many new faces. Yeah, like uh, Dan, thanks for the introduction. I've been a pastor here for many years. Uh, yeah, it's great. I think one of a pastor's dream, one of the reasons why I want to be a pastor is to see people like Dan Matz, like Daniel Gillum, like they were my youth. They were, actually, they were ki- well, he was my youth, but Daniel Gillum was a kid when I first started this church. And to see them now ministering, right, it's, it's, it's a dream that every pastor has, right, and leave a legacy so they can carry on the work. Uh, <clears throat> so, in fact, uh, Daniel Gillum invited me to uh, kind of guess, as, as a guest speaker at, at the uh, thing on Wednesday, what's it called? Uh, the young adult group, okay, yeah, Vertigo, okay, to sh- talk about, you know, my experience or my understanding of, of the topic of money, and uh, I used to be a, an accountant, I used to work for a bank, I was the uh, kind of like the financial officer uh, there before I became, uh, went to become pastor, so I know a lot about money, it's something that's natural to me, uh, I never, like, did any accounting class, whatever, right? I just got the job and just got promoted and promoted and promoted, and just money was easy. Uh, so I guess that's the reason why he wanted me to come in and share uh, my experience with money. So money is my, my, my greatest temptation in life. And uh, one of the passages that's helped me to deal with uh, my temptation is this passage uh, that we're going to look at. And I shared this passage a little bit uh, that evening, but see, we didn't have a chance to actually look at the Word of God. We just kind of like what my fear was. Right? So I just kind of talked. And it's one thing to hear what other people have to say about certain topics. Like you might have your own uh, author that you would like to listen to, uh, read, and then uh, maybe speaker you'd like to listen to. But you know what? There's, it's just word of people, right, kind of thing. And for its worth, it's okay, you know, kind of like even more comes to my mouth. Right? Kind of like, but reading from the word of God itself, there's nothing like it, right, because the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It can go to places where no human force can ever go, right? And so I hope that you know, I would do just by looking at the passage that I was trying to share, then we're going to actually look through the, the Bible, okay? Uh, but before we do that, can we bow ahead for a word of prayer? Father, as we come before your word, Lord, we are humble because uh, your word is just of great value and so much wisdom. And uh, I know oftentimes more than more than not, that you know, we tend to think we know what we're saying, but we don't. And this is why we come humbly before your word. Let your word now enlighten us in our life, what area we need to change, and may it go to the parts that it needs to go to where no other voice can go to. And so we ask your blessing in that, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the title of today's sermon is How's Your Vision? Okay, uh, it's Matthew 6, 19 to 24. And uh, a couple of things I want to say before we actually dive into the passage. One, it's the, the uh, <coughs> who's doing the clicker? Is you guys doing that? Okay. So usually when I, when I was here right, in the past, I hate using a clicker. So they know my, 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 my tensor. If I flip a page, <laughs> then you know, I'll go to the next slide. Because this is all just slides. That's it. Uh, <coughs> so next slide, right? There's a thing in the Bible. And you read the Bible a lot. It's one thing I like to do is teach, teach people how to read. Okay, first is studying, but actually just read, learning to read. And as you read, right, just like anything you read, you pick up some certain patterns, right? And in the Bible, there's no exception. As you read through the Bible, you're going to find out that there's a certain pattern or structure that's very unique. It was used in the olden days, like in the biblical time. Today, people don't use it anymore. Okay, it's a structure. It's called called chiastic structure. Like, uh, here's an illustration, right? I know it's hard, I know it's hard to see. I'm not, I'm not testing your vision, it's not value either. Okay, that's a whole different thing. 
But the idea is that it, like the, the, the story of the flood story, right, in Genesis, there's actually a chiastic structure there. For most of us, though, as you read it, you don't catch it right away. But as you read it many times, you realize, oh, you know what? There's a pattern, right, where you have like the letter A, and then at the very bottom, you have the A, what they call A prime kind of thing. They, they match, right? And then as you go through each line and get to X, the letter, right, you get God remember Noah. That's the way the author is trying to help the reader. Here's the main point of the story, okay? The main point of the story is that God remembered Noah. And then everything that comes before and everything come after is to illustrate, help us to see how God remembers Noah. And so the point of the story, right, as I read this, like, God's trying to say to me, Peter, like Noah, he remembers you, okay? And just the way he saved Noah, he will save you because he remembers you, okay? Uh, so that's the idea, right? Uh, so today's passage is similar to that, okay? It has a chiastic structure. <clears throat> like uh, A, right, first 19 to 21 is the before, and then 22 to 23 is the main point, okay? And then first 24, right, is a parallel to 1921, right, to support Okay, uh, uh, the letter B, all right? So go to the next slide to show you, right? So do not store for us your treasure, right? That part, <clears throat> okay? So first of all, I want to use this slide to illustrate how this is one unit, right, in, in a chiastic structure. Unfortunately, in your Bible, right, even your Bible, if you look at it, it has three subtitles, right? Oh, don't lay up treasure, and uh, that talks about I, the lamb, I, the lamb, and then the one that you can't serve two masters. And so there are three separate topics. And what's even more unfortunate, a lot of pastors, when they read the Bible, because the Bible is bringing it that way, they try to make a message out of just 19 to 21, right? And then they'll say another sermon on verse 22 and 23, another sermon on verse 24. See, to me, that's unfortunate because they're going to miss what the author intentionally wanted to say. Okay, uh, Matthew is not trying to teach us about storing up help, uh, not store up treasures in heaven. But he's trying to teach us that how's our vision? Do you have a good eye or a bad eye? And that the storing up a treasure is the illustration of how your eyes, right? It's like a little chart. Is your eye good or bad? Okay, based on this, verse 19, okay? And then based on verse 24, it will tell us if our eyes are good or bad. Does it make sense, right? Now, if we, people say, what's wrong doing that? Well, if you only preach from 19 to 21, you're going to miss the main point of the author because you never got to verse 22, see? Then what happens is that you're going to just miss the passage, what, what Matthew is trying to say, or what God is trying to uh, teach us. And then if you just <clears throat> do verse 22, you might hit the main point, but you have no idea what the main point's about because you have no illustrations to help you understand what the main point's about, because you didn't go read verse 19 21 along with that verse. Hope what I'm saying makes sense, okay? This is how you read the Bible, right? Never break it up, the Bible, the, the units. The units need to stay together so we get the true meaning of the passage and what God is trying to say. Uh, so now, at the same time, right, now we're gonna dive into the passage. Just because the main point starts at verse 22, don't just go there, right? You go where the author starts. You always read the Bible from the beginning to the end. Never flip it around, never starts in the middle. The author has every reason why he starts with this and why he ends that. 
Okay, so we go through the passage, verse by verse, word by word. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, <clears throat> verse 19, where moth and fernment destroys and where thieves breaks in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and ferments do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so what is Matthew trying to say here, right, it's kind of very simple, okay, but let me, let me uh, do it this way, okay? Imagine, right, you have a treasure okay, here, right in front of me, I wish I would brought some illustration, okay? You have something that you value here, but this thing eventually gets destroyed, right? And then you have another item here, right? And this item will never get destroyed. It will last forever, Okay? Now, for reasons alone, if you had to make a choice, what would you choose to keep? Right? Now, anyone with common sense would say, yeah, of course I'm going to want what will last forever. Right? So when the Bible, I feel like, teaches us things, when God wants to share something with us, I don't think he ever tells us to do something without good reason. That's one thing I enjoy reading the Bible versus a lot of other stuff. Whatever God has to say to me, there's reasons behind it. And here Jesus is basically literally just giving us reasons. I think about this. I just think about this. Does it make any sense? He's, he's, he's kind of like, I want to reason with you guys. Wouldn't you want something that will last forever versus first that's going to go away? And yet the passage is trying to say, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Okay, when you just read that phrase, right, what does it imply? That we're, uh, we are, what, we're, what are we doing? Storing up treasures on earth. And so the word, the word do not, uh, so in the Greek, there's no word stop, right? There's no Greek word for stop. So the best way they can do it for us, for uh, uh, English speaker, right, the word stop just can be literally translated, do not do, not do this. Okay, right? Like later on in your passage, do not worry. Okay, you, you can be literally translated, stop worrying. Meaning, when you say, tell someone to stop doing something, what, what, what does it imply? Okay, when I'm, when I'm scratching myself, right? And my wife says, stop doing that. Meaning what? You imply what? I'm scratching. Now, if I'm not scratching, would she say, tell me to stop? Right? Would you ever tell someone to stop doing something that they're not doing? The only reason you tell them to stop because they're doing it. Okay, uh, we're worrying, right? Because we're worriers, right? She says, stop, okay? Here, it's the same idea. The implication is that we are storing treasures on earth. See, that's the crazy thing, you see, right? We know everything we're storing up here on earth eventually gets destroyed. Nothing here on earth lasts forever, right? And see, we tend to think that Jesus is implying to Bad things, you know, bad things we all want, right? Or things we lust after. See, this is what Jesus is even, uh, I think, alluding to. I think he's just saying the, the thing is treasure, right? We don't treasure trash. No one treasures trash. So when it's treasure, you know what? It's something of value on earth. And that could be things like a house, right? Who doesn't value their house? I value my house. We all do. Okay? Take care of it, right? Nothing gets, right, kind of thing. But the crazy thing is that we worry so much about a house, guess what? 
it gets destroyed. It's not going to last forever, and yet we place so much value on it, right? Now, don't get me wrong, right? It is treasure. It's, my, it's one of my treasures here on earth. My cars, even though they're all junk, I don't have nice new cars. But you know what? Some of us like, wow, man, I just bought this. One of my, uh, one of my sons just bought a, both of my sons actually bought a, uh, what's that new electric car, right? <clears throat> they, all, they both have it. It's like, man, I wish I had a car like that. Who doesn't treasure those things? It's, Jesus is talking about those things. Here's another one, and this is going to be the kicker. Your family, right? That's my treasure on earth. Also, those things I value, my marriage, okay? This is what Jesus is talking about, those treasures, okay? And um, now, now you realize what Jesus right now, that word of God is cutting to the edge, right, kind of thing. So anyway, when I read God's word, if it doesn't trouble you, most likely we're missing what Jesus is trying to say. Uh, what Jesus is saying is very deep and it's very powerful, right? It actually gets us to kind of, Seriously, what's wrong with treasuring all those things, especially my wife, right? my kids, my grandkids? Okay. Um, so what does it mean do not treasure, right? Now he's hitting home. But, right, instead of you guys were treasuring all these earthly things, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, okay? Where moth and ferment does destroy. Now, when I read this, I don't know about you, when I read this, that sounds good. You ever ask, like, how do you store up treasures in heaven? What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, how do, you, how do I lay up treasures in heaven? Like, I, know how to lay up, I know how to treasure earth, right, stuff. You know, I just accumulate, right? How do I, does this mean that I accumulate stuff in heaven? How do you do that? Do I go to a bank? This is a heaven bank. It's called heaven bank. You put your deposit there. Here, I'm laying up treasure. Is that how it works? Because that's how it works here on earth, right? I treasure money and then just deposit money, save it, right? So that I got a lot of money that I can retire on, stuff like that. Uh, it's hard to, I like, can't understand. But then this is where right, we read the first by first. And then we look for conjunctions in verse 21. It's one of the most important conjunctions in this passage. Four, right? Jesus now like, okay, you know what it means to lay up treasure in heaven? Here it is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Now she's saying, it's, right, it's all about your heart. Where your heart is is where your treasure is. So where is your heart? What does your heart treasure? Okay, so what's that look like, right, the heart treasuring? So what's, what's important to your heart? What's of value to you in your heart? So remember the story uh, in the Bible where uh, Jesus' mother and his siblings were coming to look for him? And then they come to the house right, where Jesus was meeting with his disciples. And one of the disciples came to Jesus, hey, your mother and your siblings are outside. Remember what Jesus says? Jesus says, my mother right, and my siblings are here in this room. To me, when, we read that, when I read that passage, when I'm hearing Jesus saying, do you know where my treasure is? It's right here. Because the disciple who came in, I thought that's like anyone else. Hey, here, your treasure is outside. Your parents, you know, your mother's outside, right? That gotta be your treasure, right? That's your sibling. You gotta stop what we're doing and go, go meet with them because they're your treasure. And don't miss that. His family is very viable to Jesus, right? 
When Jesus died, right, he looked at his mother and says, Mother, this is now your son. He wanted to make sure she was taken care of. That's how much he loves his mother. He treasures his mother. But to him, in his heart, at that moment, right, he says, you guys are my family. I value you guys. Probably even more than my parents. I would rather be here with you than with my parents at that time, or my, my mom. Uh, so in a way, sorry, gosh, I, I turned off the phone. <coughs> uh, like, I could be with my grandchildren right now, right? And my daughter, who's a missionary in Japan, she's on a furlough, so she's here. I could spend that time with her, right? Because those, they're so viable to me. But at the same time, in my heart, being with you guys now, right, do I treasure this, right? Kind of thing. And uh, <clears throat> so remember the song that we often sing? I don't know if you guys sing it anymore. You know, it's better one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Okay, we sing that song, but I don't know if our hearts is there with that song. Do we truly believe that? Do I really feel that way? Like, I'd rather spend an hour here with God and with all of you with God together this hour, right, this day, than a thousand hours anyplace else. I would rather do that than spend a thousand hours with my, with my uh, uh, right, family. Okay, I gotta turn this off. Sorry. I know my wife been trying to get hold of me. <laughs> Show me to do something here. <clears throat> and, and, and so that's the idea, right? It's where your heart is. You see? I think that's what Jesus is trying to get to, right? To his disciples to listen. Where is your heart? Because wherever your heart treasure, that's where your treasure is. So the way I laid up treasure in heaven, right, it's not so much I actually physically do something. It's just that this is what's important to me in my heart, right? It is things of eternal value. My heart values things that are eternal. The fact that you guys, you know, you accept the Christ in your life, I'm going to spend eternity with you guys. You guys are truly my sibling, my, my brother and sisters in Christ. I have three brothers who are not believers. See, I'd rather spend a day with you than a thousand days with them in Hawaii. As much as I love Hawaii, but this is more valuable. That's that one day with you guys. And I say this not because the wife thinks it, because that's how, truly how I feel. That's what I value in my heart, you see. And I think that's what it means to lay up treasures in heaven, okay? It's what I value. Now, you go to the next part, right? So why is that important, right, what I value? Because that's an indicator of your vision. How's your vision? Right? So we go to the next uh, passage, being in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So as you read the previous passage and then you compare this one, it's very clear, right, as you read it. It's very simple, right, to understand that the good eye, right, there's so the eyes and body, you either have a healthy eye or an unhealthy. A healthy eye is what? It's an eye that values eternal things, right? Then you have a healthy eye. An unhealthy eye is an eye that sees things on this world of greater value than eternal. 
things, right? So Jesus is basically using verse 19 to set up the main point, to help us understand what does it mean to have a healthy and unhealthy eye. It's a matter of your perspective, where your heart is, where your treasure is, okay? And that will indicate. And then he goes on to say, to, to, to go first, like your whole body will be full. Right? When you have an unhealthy eye, right? If you have a healthy eye, your life, your body is full of light, okay? If you're unhealthy, then it's full of darkness. And how great is that darkness? How many of you guys have ever been to a cave before? Okay, right? a few of you, right? So when my kids were young, okay, we homeschool, and uh, we would take field trips, right, with other homeschool kids. And one of the trips that we would take every year is to go to the gold country, uh, where they right, discover gold and mine for gold. So as you, I think it's in Jackson, the area, right? It's like a two-hour drive from here. And then when we get there, right? So we go into the gold mine, and it goes underground pretty deep, and it gets really, really dark, okay? And of course, they light up the whole path, right? So you don't get lost. And so we get to this room, uh, a cave, right? It's about the size of this one, just maybe a tiny bit smaller than this room, like literally. And the light was lighted up, and then people would give you like the tour and give you a description of what people did and all the stuff. They show you the tools that they were used to dig. And then also, and I noticed that there's whales all around the wall, right? And and then so the guy the tour says, "Hey, I want you guys to all grab, uh, put your hand on a whale." I said, "Okay," but we just did it. And all of a sudden, what he did was that he turned off the lights, and it was pitch dark. Okay, and then my kids started crying. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I just froze, I couldn't, believe, I thought I was gonna fall down, okay, because I couldn't see the ground. And, and then uh, the next thing they ha- uh, the tour guide says, okay, let me see who, who of you are brave enough. I want you to walk toward my face, my voice, okay? So I tried it, right? so I, I, I wanted to be brave in front of my kids, so I let go of the whale and took a step. The first, the first step I took, to my knee, because I couldn't see the ground. It was so dark. I didn't know where, the, where, I, where I could put my foot down. And uh, it was one of the few scary moments of my life where like, I have no idea what's going on. I couldn't see anything. And then about like, you know, uh, another 10 seconds later, he turned back on the light, and you just feel like well, you're full of light, like I can see now where I'm going. Right? When we have a bad eye, right? It's horrendous, okay? Then our eyes are not good, meaning that if I, right, lay up treasures, right, treasures of things on the earth, my eyes are bad. Our life is so hard and miserable without knowing it, okay? But if my uh, eyes are good, then I can see where I'm going, what my life is about, that kind of thing. Here, he says, if then the light within you is darkness. Notice that? Right? It ceases to miss. What is the light within us? All right, from my reading of scripture, the only people who have light in their life are who? Jesus followers. Okay? Believers of Jesus Christ. So this passage, right, which I think the whole Bible, right, and this is talking about us. It's, like, it's easy to read a passage that says, oh yeah. Unbelievers, they have bad eyes. I'm a believer, I have a good eye. Right? No, no, he's talking about us. He's talking to his disciples. Look, you are my disciples. I want to warn you. Right? You need to get your eyes checked on a regular basis. You know? 
Where is your heart? Because if your heart, right, is not in the right place, you treasure the right thing, then your eyes are bad. When your eyes are bad, guess what? You're going to get lost. Okay? The light in you will become dark. Okay? The light that we have inside of us as believers will become dark. This is the warning. Right? This is the message that God wants us to hear as believers and follow Jesus Christ. And so we go to the next passage, right? Further illustrates okay, about our, how our eyes could be bad, healthy or unhealthy. Okay? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So here's another word uh, that uh, in the Greek is very different from the English. <clears throat> uh, you cannot, right? No one can do this, and you cannot serve both God and money. The word cannot, right, in the Bible, more often than not, means it's not possible. Okay, the Greek word is dynamite. It's where do we get the dynamite? It means power. You're unable to do this. First, it's not allowed. See, a lot of people tend to read this passage to think like, you're not allowed to do this. No, it's not saying that. Jesus is saying, you cannot do this. All right? Look, I enjoy playing basketball. Maybe you, we play basketball a lot. There's one thing I cannot do, that, that's slam dunk. Okay, I could do a lot of stuff in the basketball. The one thing I cannot do is slam dunk. Now, am I allowed to slam dunk? Yes, I wish them every time I play, I say, yeah, Peter, go slam dunk, or that kind of thing. Everyone wants me to slam dunk, but I cannot do it. It's not that I'm, I'm allowed to do it. Whereas the Bible, right, the word not allow or allow is thou shall not. Okay, thou shall not murder. Thou shall not lie. Now, are we all capable of lying? Yeah, you, you all can lie, right? But it says you're not allowed to do that. See how that's different? When the Bible says you can't do something, it means it's not possible, generally speaking, okay, depending on how the words translated, right? right, kind of thing. So here, Jesus says, this is something you cannot do. And he explains it again, right? Jesus explained what he's trying to say. He says, what, what happens is that you will default to the one or the other, right, kind of thing. Now, for people, you know, I don't know what that's like because I never cheated on my wife. And uh, people right, who have affairs, right, what, 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 they, what they tend to do, we all watch enough movies, right? They try to go, oh, yeah, please, this spouse, and then try to please the other spouse. Guess usually what happens? Like, they can't go on forever, right? They'll leave one and join the other. Jesus says this is a hum- common human condition, right? It's why it's not possible as much as people want to. Now, here's another thing about this passage, right? Again, this we just read, right? No one can serve two masters. What does that imply, again? Okay, so the problem is not that Christian is trying to choose between money and God, okay? All of you in this room, if you accept Jesus Christ in your life, who here doesn't want God to be their master? We all want to. Okay? Otherwise, there's no point for you being here or being a Christian, why you even pray or do anything, right? You would not do any of that stuff. See, this mean like this only applies to believers because non-believers will never have God as their master. Money will ask will only be their master. This passage will not apply to them whatsoever. But this passage, God is speaking to us as His disciple, as His disciple, His Son Jesus Christ, and His followers, right, and believer of God. The problem is not that we want God to be our master. We all do. The problem is that we want to do what? Serve God and money. We want to have two masters in our life. Okay? 
Now, this is where I would share with you, like, when I first became a believer, this is my greatest temptation. This is my biggest struggle. Okay? How can I serve God as my master? Because money was my master all my life. All I wanted to do when I was growing up before I was a Christian was become a millionaire. Right? That's all I think about. Everything I did was to get myself to become a millionaire as fast as possible. And when I became a believer, right, I tried to say, okay, I'll serve you, God, but why can't I still get my million? What's wrong with that? Right? I can still serve you, God, you know, I'll preach, I'll teach, or whatever, right? But I still want my million. That's what Jesus is addressing. Right? So Jesus, God is trying to tell me, Peter, you cannot do it. I think if I can do it, I, okay, I'm not speaking for God, I'm speaking for God. I think he will let me do it. You understand? Because God is a loving God, right? He wants to give us our heart content, uh, heart's desires. I think Jesus is telling me, right, all of us who are listening, right, I wish you can do it, but you can't. It's not, I wish you could slam dunk, Peter, but you can't. You think you can, and that's Satan's trick. To make us think that we can serve both God and money at the same time. See, that's a bad eye. A bad eye is when we think we can do this. It's not that we are choosing between God and money. We all want God to be our master, but it's when we try to serve both. And Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. And he emphasized at the end, he said, you cannot serve both God and money. As though he wanted to make an exclamation point. This is something that's not possible. To try to do that, he says, you have a bad eye. And when your eyes are bad, even the light that is in you is dark. Right? The moment you think you can do that, the light inside of you has become dark. Okay? I have seen, I've been pastor for many years now. Now, I am so thankful for, again, like people like Dan Matz, Daniel Gilham. Okay? Like, they're serving the Lord. I can tell you, like, for every one of Dan Matz, every one of Daniel Gilham, I can tell you 10, 20, 30 people who was in part of that youth group. They are no longer serving the Lord or are part of the church anymore. And I know many of you have probably know people like that. Okay? And I had to attribute one of the great factors how people who grew up in the church and eventually end up leaving the church has to do with this passage. Their eyes became bad, and the light that's in them has become dark. You know, when I first came here, before Dan Matthew even came, before I knew him, I, uh, so I was here like a, like a couple, I think a year or so before Dan Matthew was there, and Ken knows this, Ken knows some of these people, and, and, and um, there was one particular uh, person who just came back from college, and, you know, he was one of the youth leaders in your group kind of thing when Ken was a youth. And uh, he, you know, uh, was doing great for a while after he came back. And then until he got this, right, he, right, he got a job and started making a lot of money, okay, in the Silicon Valley, right? Who doesn't get a lot of money, right? He gets a job here. And sooner or later, right, he started coming to church. 
And then his parents finally said, you know, can you go and talk and meet up with my son? I said, of course I would. So I met up with him. I said, what's going on? And he's telling me, it's like, you know what? I am so busy. Like, my job is so demanding. There's no way I, I have time to go to church, to like, go to Bible study or anything else, anything. Right? So basically he stopped coming. I said, well, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can pray for you? Like, things like that. And uh, he says, yeah, you can pray for me, but I don't know. I don't know what my life is about. I don't know where I'm going to go anymore from here. But one thing he did say, right, I will probably won't come back to church at least for a while. Right? And uh, so I came back and I reported this to, to his parents and stuff like that. And then there was this dismay, like, what happened? I said, well, I can go through this passage with them. But I didn't. I just said, no, I, I can only pray for your son. Okay? It's... Uh, and he is like one of so many. In fact, that's the reason why I became a pastor. So when I first became a Christian at the age of 18, I was baptized, I accepted Christ at the age of 17. And um, so I was, my sister invited me to this church group that she was part of in Berkeley. There was about 20, 25 of us that attended this fellowship like every, every week. So after I became a Christian, right, two years later, okay, I was the youngest one there. Everyone was like either a junior or senior right, in college. Like literally, my sister and I was the only person who continued to go to church after like two, three years later. Like all 20 to 25 of those people, you know, I, I, we know many of them, and they basically says they no longer believe. Right? They never go back to church. And I still remember, right, those days, it's like, what happened? You know, what happened? Why is it there? And then I know one of the reasons is because I feel like no one was teaching them the, the word of God because I wasn't taught, right, kind of stuff. And uh, at that time, the Lord really put a burden in my heart and says, Peter, you need to become a pastor. You need to study God's word. Right? You need to read it, and you got to learn it, and you need to teach others, right? Just to stop the bleeding, right, to stop people from being misled, right, people who are just kind of like being drawn by the vase of the world, right? by the values and the treasure of the earth. There's a, uh, you go to two slides down, not the next one, but the one with the first Timothy and second Timothy. So this is also what I read. Paul says this in the first Timothy chapter six, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from their faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And then in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 says, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me, has gone to Thessalonica. So even Paul, right, as a missionary, as an apostle, has experienced like, what I've experienced. Okay. Like, he has people who have deserted their faith, people who have left him. Why? Because they love the world and because they have a love and desire for money. This is how powerful money is to me. Right? How grievous money can cost people's life. And it's passages like that where I think God has helped me to overcome my temptation. I don't know if I'm totally overcome, but it's helped me to deal with the temptation of money in my life. I know what it can do. See, I don't want the light that's in me to become dark. Because I know what's it like to be in darkness. And I see many people whose lives are like that. And I pray right, that God will help us right, to prevent us from getting ever into that, into that area of darkness. Can you pray with me? Father, uh, 
I pray my prayer is that you will use your word this morning uh, to just pierce our life. And I know I'm not alone when it comes to the idea of being tempted by money. We live in a Silicon Valley, right? There are treasures everywhere. And I know those things, those treasures tend to pull us away from you. And my prayer that the spirit that's in us and the light that's in us will continue to shine very bright. So instead of having the darkness influence us, that we will influence in the darkness as light. And that people can see how different we are. Because we value eternal things more than we value things that are temporal. Lord, help us to understand that. Help us to have that kind of perspective. Have that kind of eye that Jesus has. So I pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.